Thanks for downloading this episode of Cork Talk with me, Tim Atkin. A weekly conversation with some of the most famous people in the world of wine. This podcast is brought to you in partnership with Nomacork by Vinventions. Driven by a commitment to innovation, the new plant-based Nomacork Green Line offers significant improvements in wine closure performance. Thanks to a rigorous oxygen ingress rate, you can decide which cork is best for your wine, whether it's for young and fresh wines or for those with ageing potential. After the fall of the Berlin Wall, Laszlo Massaros took an interrail holiday around Western Europe but fell in love with wine. After further studies in France, he returned to the Tokai region in his native Hungary in 1995 and has been at Disnoco ever since. Our chat covered the fascinating history of this famous area, as well as its soil types, grape varieties, vineyard classification, and the secrets of its amazing botrytis-affected wines, known locally as Asu. Hello, Laszlo. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much. Thank you for the invitation. It's fantastic to see you. Uh, have you started harvesting yet? You're, you're in Tokai right now, aren't you? Yeah, I, I'm in the winery, and um, it's still not the harvest. We are... We are. Um, uh, we think to harvest next week, uh, which is quite normal. But a year ago, we have already finished uh, the harvest by the first week of September for the dry but wines. This year yeah. seems to be quite for yeah. the dry wines, of course. Yeah. Of course. So, so twenty twenty two was much hotter than this year, yeah. Yeah, it was very dry. It was a year of drought and very hot. And this year, 23 seems to be like a normal year. A little bit of rain, not too much, quite warm, not too much. So it's, it, we are very optimistic about the, uh, about the harvest. Good to hear. Listen, lots of things I want to ask you about. Um, you know more about Tokai than anybody else I know, and I've learned so much from you over the years. Let's just begin with a little bit about your background, because you weren't born in Tokai, but were you born in a wine region? You're Hungarian, obviously. Yeah, I mean, in Hungary, people... For wine in, for people in Hungary, it's very familiar. Uh, and and uh, we have in the Hungarian culture, we have a lot of songs, a lot of poems dedicated to the wine, a lot of philosophical works on the wine. So it's a, we have really a wine culture. Uh, and, uh, but the region I, I was born, it was not a wine region. It was, uh, it was a region, it's a region close to Austria. Uh, but not not uh, the wine region part, a little bit uh, further to the south. But uh, I, I grew up on the countryside, and my grandfather and grandparents were, were farmers. They used to make some wines, but I cannot say that that uh, this is uh, their wines that uh, brought me to the to the wine. So wine was something quite ordinary for for them, uh, and also. Uh, the reality of the wine in Hungary at the time I, I, I grew up, it was uh, the 70s, early 80s in, in this region. Um, the, the wines at that time that you could buy in a, in a, in a store were made by, by huge co-ops, uh, state farms, uh, without many uh, interest for the quality. And this was under communism, right? This was under communism, yes. Yeah, which ended in 1989 in Hungary yeah, and elsewhere, obviously. But. Yeah, and then um, yeah, that it, it was it was a completely different different world. Even even if Hungary was a much more open country than than most of the uh, former communist uh, countries, 
uh, we could have some um, some private businesses and a lot of people uh, had uh, some smaller vineyards that where they can they can, they could make wine uh, but uh, they were quite very confidential and uh, this is something that you could you could buy if you if you went to see the producer and uh, you could have a, a in a small uh, a small glass a, a few liters and this this was the wine that were the most yeah. prestigious at the time under the counter as we say in english yeah, yeah? exactly <laughs> Listen, i mean you trained as a chemical engineer i think didn't you the university of pannonia and i read somewhere you wanted to be a biologist what made you switch to to wine uh, i was always very interested in in sciences and also to, to biology and um, so the, the the chemistry i i i learned it was a chemistry specific to um Agronomy and and uh, and agriculture. So it was soil sciences. It was uh, chemistry applied for agriculture, and um, and uh, I was always very interested in food and and taste and aromas in general. And when uh, with, it was the beginning of the changes in Hungary, with one of my very good friends, we 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 bought a, an interrail ticket, which allowed us to to travel around Europe. And when we went to France, I, I, uh, I discovered the diversity of, uh, of the markets, of the wines. That was something, a new thing for me. It was a relevation. Mm. And, um, mm. and this is, this really appealed me. And I started to learn French in order to, to understand it and to, to learn more about, about this thing. So this was, I think, the, uh, the, the, my first motivation. It was an interrail trip. It was an interrail, interrail, interrail trip, trip, right? Good. So, so then we have to thank interrail for lots of things we think interrail for. And you studied in Toulouse, didn't you? You went to the very prestigious, you know, École Normale Supérieure d'Agriculture de Perpont. Um, I mean, what was that like? Was that a total culture shock for you? You know, this young guy who'd been brought up under communism in Hungary. I mean, you'd been to France on the interrail trip, but was it a culture shock? Yeah, because I, I, I before I was in France for uh, for a couple of weeks uh, or even less, but this was quite a shock, yes, because it was very different from uh, from the studies that we had in Hungary. In Hungary, it was very academic, you know, a lot of sciences. Uh, you have to learn uh, the names of the molecules, uh, this, uh, organic chemistry, uh, all the speeches in Hungarian, in Latin. So it was for us. It was a lot of a lot of uh, a lot of data, a lot of things to learn, and the approach in in uh, in Pierpont in France was much more practical, much more pragmatic, uh, less things to 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 memorize, but more uh, more projects, more uh, more uh, uh, things together, more um, presentations. Very very different approach. Mm. Very more pragmatic and very 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 much practical. You qualified there and you went back to Hungary and you got a job at Disnoko in 1995, where you've been ever since, right? But I think to start, you were, you were on the financial side, weren't you, rather than the winemaking side? Yeah, when, when, I, when I finished, when I graduated uh, in, in, uh, in 95, I, I was looking for a job. And in, in, at that time in Hungary, was in a very, very bad shape. It was after the political transition. The agriculture economy was uh, was very much in a sort of decline. Uh, the uh, the former big uh, uh, state-owned companies uh, went this uh, bankrupt, and uh, there were some family-owned uh, businesses, but they were very small. And um, 
And uh, I heard that there are some new investments in, in Tokai and I sent my CDs to, to potential, uh, I mean, to different uh, Tokai wineries. Uh, and, uh, and this note replied me uh, that um, I will be uh, uh, welcome to, to, to see them and to, to spend a, a stage, an uh, interim period. And um, I arrived in July '95, um, and uh, at the time it was the the investment in in in, um, in this nucleus. It was the constructions, the, the, the plantings, uh, a lot of things happened, and um, and uh, they needed someone who who can control all these things. Uh, it was a lot of money to spend. Who can control? Who understand? Uh, and also can can make the connection between the uh, between the uh, the owners, between the French directors and the, and the local team, and yeah, my my um, my uh, task was to to control all these investments, the, the plantings, also to to establish a sort of uh, stock management and and everything. And so it was. I mean, massive job. It was quite massive, right? yeah. But it was. Yeah, I was. I was very young, and yeah. I, I for me it was really hmm. something uh, very very exciting because. Uh, this was something to create, create something from, from almost nothing, uh, uh, a winery, replantings, brands, uh, all the commercial network. And, um, as I was alone, I spent a lot of times with my colleagues. We, we, we stayed here in the winery until late night and, and discussed and tasted. And, uh, yeah, and this is, this was, I understood that this is, this is not just my, uh, a temporary work for me, but I would like to to stay here and 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 work here. And uh, I, I think uh, that time the, um, my uh, my French bosses and Christian Silly they 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 saw my motivation and and also my my deep interest yeah. in these things. And then uh, I started to work uh, a little bit also in the in the techniques together with the uh, technical directors. Mm. And then this is how I mm. became uh, the manager. Or this talk in two thousand, and and by two thousand you were director as well as the head winemaker, right? So you're you're doing everything really. I mean, just tell us a bit more about those times because Axa Millezim, that your French owners, the your French bosses, had invested in nineteen ninety two in Tokai. It was a, an exciting time, and I mean, you said that that Hungary was in a bad shape, but Tokai was was expanding, wasn't it? Because um, lots of investors coming in from outside, and this sort of rediscovery of of this historic region, really. I mean, because it had fallen into disrepair a little bit under communism, communism hadn't it, between 1948 and, and 89. Did it feel exciting to be in Tokai at that time? Did you think, hey, this is really going to be fantastic? I think so, yeah, yeah exactly. So I, I was... I didn't know this this, this region uh, before very well, So, but um, it was it was a sort of... Mixture of the, uh, the old traditions and also a little bit the, uh, the, uh, mm. the very old traditional people with the new modern approach technology. Uh, and it created a lot of, uh, a lot of fears as well, uh, in, in, in Hungary because, because, uh, mm. also in the politics, uh, I remember that, that, uh, people say that the Tokai, the Tokai region would, will be, uh, brought by, uh, French. This is our national mm. treasure. And it's what a shame to, to let uh, these foreign peoples to come here. And, uh, so there was a lot of fear in the beginning. 
and also a lot of fear that that the the style of Tokai would be changed, etc. And then I think people understood that that uh, and also saw very quickly that that these new investors like uh, Axa Milazim, like Vega Sicilia, like the, and the others, they they were very serious people, and they 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 saw the um, the quality of their of their uh, uh, work, their plantings, their buildings, their their wines, and uh, and uh, I think without these early ninety period, without these foreign investors, Tokai would be not not here uh, today. Where where it is now? So it is now, yeah. and maybe yeah. maybe it would be uh, quite yeah. unknown uh, on, on 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 most of the foreign yeah. markets. Yeah. T- tell us a little bit for people who don't know. Tokai, just tell us about you know where it is and what the terroir are and what are the major influences in terms of mountains and rivers and you're close to the Great Hungarian Plain. J- just tell us a little bit about where it is so that people understand it. Yeah, so now we we are in northeast of Hungary, very close to the Slovakian border, very close also to the U- Ukrainian border, about 250 yeah. kilometers uh, northeast from from Budapest. Um, it's um, it's a hilly area. We have uh, we have slopes mm. just in front of the Hungarian plain, the the, the pusta, and um, the region uh, is the um, is the oldest uh, delimited wine region in the world, and it has a very uh, logical delimitation because the uh, the borders of the region are natural borders. So we have the mountains from the south, mm. from, from the north. We have the mm. river, the Bodrog River, from the east. We have the, uh, the great Hungarian plain from the south. So it's a very logical, um, delimitation. And, um, and uh, the vineyards of, of Tokai are situated on, on volcanic, uh, slopes. So the, the region has a volcanic, uh, base stone. And we have mostly volcanic clay soils, a little bit of less soils and a great diversity of, uh, of uh, very different, very, uh, various, uh, soil types. And, um, and it's a very old region. I mean, we don't we don't know how old, do we? I mean, when, do we know when the first grapes were planted? They could have been the Romans, couldn't it? Uh, actually, n- not the Romans, because that part of Hungary was not under the the Roman Empire. So the um, mm-hmm. the, uh, the the Danube River, which divides Hungary, was the limit of the Roman Empire. Mm-hmm. So the okay. uh, the party mm-hmm. of uh, Hungary called Transdanubia was was a Roman province. And viticulture existed there from, from Roman times, but east of Hungary, where we are, it was the um, the country of barbarians, the Huns, and different type of nomadic people. Mm-hmm. And um, the viticulture very likely started here in the early Middle Ages. Yeah. And um, yeah. And then we had a quite quick development because of of our proximity to some some traditional markets to Poland, to Russia, which uh, which were important markets for for, for the region. But the most important thing was the discovery of the uh, the great Tokai wine, the Tokai Asu, that made Tokai an international mm. fame, and it was in the 16th century. Let's we'll talk about Asu in a minute. Just just tell us a little bit about the vineyard classification, because I mean, Tokai was very early in classifying its vineyards from from what 1641, I think, was the first classification. Do we know exactly why they did it? Yeah. So we had. Um, uh, the, 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 there was different publications on, um, on the Tokai, uh, soil, Tokai vineyards classification. 
So there was, for example, there is a book pub- published in, uh, in, uh, in, in 1731 that talks about the vineyard classification as a, as a fact. Uh, yeah. Talking about more than 500 vineyards classified into first, second, and, and third uh, class. And, um, and I think that the reason for that was, was to, Different reason. It was probably also tax reason. So the, uh, <laughs> the king wanted to know the, uh, the value of, uh, of the lands of their, uh, the people, but also, uh, also to establish a price, uh, for, for, for the, uh, for the land, for, for, for the, for the vineyard. But it was not just a very, uh, dry, uh, it was, it was a very poetic description about how, what type of wines uh, can be, uh, can be made from one specific, um, vineyard if it gives, uh, wines with, uh, sweeter character, more aromatic character. So it was already a classification that, that described a little bit also the, uh, the, not just the quality, but, but also the, uh, yeah. uh the style of the wine, the, uh, yeah. the style of the wine. And, um, are some of those vineyards still famous today? Of course, yes. Yeah, of course. Many, yeah. many of them are still famous yeah. today. Unfortunately, as you yeah. know, it, it never became an official classification. So we still use yeah. this classification as a sort of reference. We are very proud to have a, a first class of sec- second growth vineyard, but it never became a, a, an official classification as in Burgundy or in other parts of, uh, of the world. And, and do you think we might see an official classification? And I know my good friend Wojciech Bonkowski, a fellow master of wine who was on the podcast a few weeks ago, he's, he's done a proposed classification, I think, hasn't he, for his master of wine research paper? Um, I think it's, it's a very, very important and very interesting work. But on the other hand, mm. it's a very controversial uh, work. And also, I, I think That's him. <laughs> produ- producers, producers in Tokai, they, they, we are not agree whether if we should make a new classification or we should use the old mm. classification as, a, as an official classification mm. or we should use a mixture of the old and, and the new. And this is also because uh, many people think that the classification made um, in, the, um, in the 17th century was a classification mm. mostly based on the quality of the, uh, the Tokai Asu wines, the, uh, the famous uh, liquor yeah. wines. And, uh, yeah. and now many, many dry wines are also made in Tokai. And uh, the, the best yeah. vineyards for, for sweet wines are not necessarily the best vineyards for wine, dry wines and the opposite. Uh, and this is a new, uh, this is also a new uh, factor in, uh, in this classification. Yeah. So, so historically, Tokai was known for sweet wines and not for dry wines. Was it? it was the Asu wines. I and mean, you'll tell us about Asu in a minute, how it's made. But it was the sweet wines that made it famous. Yes, I think so. Uh, until until the 15th and 16th century, there was two styles they made. Uh, one was just called ordinary wines, ordinarium, which called ordinary wines, which was a dry wine. And the... Um, the other wine was called Föbor, which means main wine. It was a sweet wine. So there was two styles made, mm. made even before the, uh, the uh, discovery of the acidification. And the sweet wine was more prestigious than, uh, than the dry wine. But when the asu was discovered, the asu became, of course, the most important wine. 
Yeah. And Asu is made from what we call grapes affected by noble rot or Botrytis cinerea, right? Which is a, a rot, a, a vineyard rot, really. Which just tell us a little bit about that style. You know, how is the wine made, and and how you know what what does what does the Asu process and what does Botrytis do to the grapes? Yeah, I I think because of course you have uh, great sweet wines made in in, in Sauterne, in the Loire Valley, in in Germany, in Austria, in many parts of the world. Uh, but Tokai has really a, a very unique uh, way of uh, botanization, uh, harvest, and, and vinification. And so we, we call it bot- botrytis wine, botrytis wine, but indeed it's, um, it's very often less botrytized than, for example, Sauterne. So the botrytis is much more finer. And, and the botrytization is always followed with a very very uh, quick uh, desiccation, uh, sh- shriveling. So the bot- botrytis-affected berries became completely desiccated, almost like like raisins, mm. with, with no juice inside. Mm. So this is what we call the, the asu berry, which, uh, which are um, completely dried, and uh, that usually... Uh, on one cluster, you can you, you just have a few few berries like this, and these berries are picked mm. uh, one by one, by by hand, by fingers, uh, one by one. It's a very labor intensive, very time consuming picking, and then these berries, uh, because they are so dried that you cannot press them directly. There is no juice inside. Uh, the only way uh, to extract the flavors, the acids, the, um, the taste is by, um, by a maceration, by a skin contact. So then the grapes, the, the, the asu grapes, the dried grapes are mixed with fermenting must or fermenting wine. And we make a skin contact by doing pumping overs or we just, uh, we steer them. And during the, this maceration, we extract the, uh, the, the sugars, the acids, the flavors, mm-hmm. but also a little bit of tannins out of the skin, out of the, uh, the seeds, that gives the wine a very linear and very important structure, a sort of tannic structure, which is very important for photobiosis. Yeah. And then, and that's what makes them unusual, isn't yes, it? Right, it yeah. Has acidity yeah. and structure. Sorry, okay. carry on. Yeah, carry so on. Is, I interrupted this is, you. This, this, is this, this, this maceration. I think it's it's really important because people who know Tokai, we also mm. have uh, late harvest and and uh, and uh, either some of the styles, they can have as much mm. sweet as the asu, but they don't have this mm. maceration structure. And asu has this one. And, so it's the maceration gives you tannin. Yeah, yeah? this is very, yeah, in the wines, really yeah. important for the structure, for the mouthful, and for the complexity of the wine. Yeah, tell, tell us about the grape varieties that are grown there, because you've got you know, the four mint is the biggest grape. I think it's probably about 70% of plantings. You're about, what, 5,500 hectares or so, Tokai, these days? What's the, what's the size of Tokai? Yeah, so the, the, um, we only have white grapes in Tokai, so we don't have any red grapes in yeah. the region. And uh, we have six varieties, and the most important, obviously, is the four mint. And, uh, and then we have five others. Maybe we, we should mention the Harschlevelu, which is a more difficult name to pronounce mm. for, for no Hungarians. <laughs> which is the second grape, which is also a local, local variety. Like the Furmint, it's a variety that was very likely selected as a variety here in, in, in the Tokai wine region. So it 
it's really a local variety. Mm. And also the hash table is a lo- local variety. But also we have uh, a muscat, the same variety as the muscat in the south of France, Muscat Blanc, and, and three other varieties which are less, less important. And, but and for- the muscat is muscat à petit grain, the small buried muscat, yeah? Exactly, exactly. Yeah. And, mm. but if we had only four mint, it would be enough. Uh, so the other varieties are really just the spices. The four mint, you can, you can, you can make every styles in Tokai with, with the four mint. And, um, yeah, so the, um. Why is it so special as a grape? What makes it so special? It's, um, I think it was selected as the main grape here in Tokai because it, it is sensible for botrytis. So it's, it's important. It's, mm. of course, very good for sweet wine. It's a bit less, less good for when you want to make a dry style, but, uh, mm. but the botrytis is important. And the other thing is that it, it keeps its acidity, its freshness. Even when it's botrytized, even when it's uh, overripe, and it's very important mm. for the balance of, uh, of of the sweet wine. And um, uh, this is also the formin that we use most uh, often when we make a, a, a dry uh, Tokai style. Let's talk about the dry wines because when I wrote my dissertation, master wine dissertation, a long time ago, 2021, sorry, 2001, not 2021, with your help, uh, you were very helpful. Dry wines were regarded as a byproduct of the sweet wines. They were what you made in years when there were no asu berries. And I think a, a fellow master wine uh, called them Cinderella wines. And that's changed now, isn't it? I mean, the, the dry wines now have got as almost as big a reputation as the sweet wines, haven't they? I don't know for the reputation, but there is a big interest for dry wine. And I, I, I think there is also a great future for, for Tokai dry wine. But, um, we still have a lot of, a lot of thing where to develop for, for the dry wine, I think. Mm-hmm. But as when you came in 2001, it was just the beginning of mm-hmm. this dry wine uh, interest. So it's, it's, it's true when you came, people, uh, you asked about uh, dry wine. It was considered a sort of byproduct, but it was also the time when, when uh, some more, more um, ambitious uh, dry wine were, were made in the beginning of the 2000, 2001, 2002 with, um, with barrel fermentation. And, and the interest for dry wine was, uh, I think, uh, because, because the, the Ford Mint is a variety that is not very aromatic. It's not aromatic at all, you can say, but it has, it has a sort of fruitiness and, um, and very subtle aromas and also texture, etc. that can very well, um, uh, describe, uh, very well represent the, um, the style of its, of its soya, of its terroirs. So if you grow the ferment in different, different vineyards, the, the vineyard character is is very very expressed by by, by the foreman. What's the split now between dry wines and sweet wines? It depends on the vintage, right? Uh, yeah, but now there are producers who are much very much focused on on, on dry wines. They produce eighty yeah. percent uh, dry wines and and maybe twenty thirty percent of of sweet wines, and. Uh, and uh, producers like like Disnoke that uh, we produce mm. almost the opposite seventy percent of sweet wines and just thirty uh, percent of of, of uh, dry wines, but 
Today, the region produces much more dry wine, or maybe of, of dry wines without necessary botrytis than, than sweet wine. So the okay. reputation of Tokai yeah. is mostly based on sweet wine, but the production, the reality today is much more dry wine than, than the sweet wine. And, and there are also other styles. There's, there's late harvest and there's something called Samarodny. Just tell us quickly about those. So we have, we can say that we have two styles for, for sweet wines, for botrytis wines. So we have the Tokayasu we were talking about. And then we have, um, um, uh, the late harvest and the Edesh Samarodne. So they are basically the same type of wines made uh, from the same type of grapes, but uh, with different stylistical approach. Uh, so both are made of uh, clusters with botrytis picked by bunches, by part of clusters, and then uh, Press directly and, uh, and, uh, and fermentation and, and, and some barrel aging. But the late harvest is usually a more fruity style, more approachable with less barrel aging. And, uh, it's, it, and the Edes Samorodny is a more complex late harvest, if you wish, with, uh, with a more severe selection, with more aging potential, with longer barrel aging. And the Edes Samorodny is a wine that you can age as, as, as long as you can age a, a Tokayasu, but with a little bit different, uh, different texture and different structure. Yeah. Some people may have seen on the labels, it says, you know, four, five, six Putonius, yeah, uh, for Asu wines. Just tell us about the difference. It used to be like three, but I think three doesn't exist anymore, does it? But tell us about four, five, and six Putonius. What does that mean on a label of Asu wine? Yeah. So when, of course, when you do this, this vinification by maceration, the, uh, the proportion of the uh, botrytis affected grapes, the asu grapes compared to the base wine mm. will determine the, uh, the concentration and the sweetness of the resulting wine. So more asu berries you use, the more concentrated, the sweeter will be the resulting wine. And the number of putonyosh, uh, the puton is, um, is a, is a Hungarian name meaning, uh, basket. Uh, so it, it's a bucket. It's a bucket, really, it's a bucket <laughs> yeah. yes. And it was, yeah. Yeah. the people used it for the harvest. And also they used it to measure in, until the 19th century to measure for the measuring of the, uh, the, the quantity, the proportion of the, um, the botrytis grapes that they mixed together with the base wine. So if they had it free buckets, okay. Uh, the wine was less sweet. If they added five or six, the wine was much richer. And, uh, so they used different numbers of packets of, uh, asu berries, but they always added the same amount of base wine, which was the amount of a small local barrel called Gunzi barrel, which was about five times bigger in volume as, as one, one put ton. And, and so the higher the number, the, higher the number sweeter the wine. Yeah? Is the wine, yes. Yeah, yeah. And the size of those barrels is, what, 132 litres or 123? I always forget. <laughs> yeah, 136 litres, yes. 136, right, there we go, yeah. Just tell us about vintage. It was five times bigger. Five times bigger, of course. Just tell us about vintage variation. I mean, are vintages important? I mean, there must be some years when you get more botrytis than you do in others. And what does that depend on? 
Yeah, there, there is there is a lot of vintage variation in in Tokai. It, it doesn't mean that that uh, that the quality of some vintages are not uh, enough good, but there is a, a lot of stylistical difference. In some vintages, we we have much more intense botrytis, so we therefore we can have much more flavors, a little bit like in Sauterne, more citrusy flavors, more uh, zesty flavors. In some vintages, we have uh, less intense botrytis, but more uh, more uh, shriveling, more desiccation, more passerillage with more dried fruit character, honey character, and of course, and also in some vintage vintages, the botrytis comes very quite early when the the grape still has uh, a lot of acidity, and uh, then the um, the acidity will be much higher than in another vintage when the botrytis comes later. With lower acidity, and um, so it makes a lot of variation, a lot of style. So if if you make a, a vertical tasting of Tokaya so five putonyos, uh, you you will be surprised how different they are. Uh, you you will feel the Tokai character. Also, you can feel the uh, the character of the uh, the producer. But if you do. If you make this exercise uh, two times, not, then it's very easy to recognize the vintage. Uh, so the, the vintage has a very, very uh, important uh, style. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. T- tell us a little bit about selling sweet wines in the marketplace. I mean, sweet wines are not drunk as much as, as they were. I mean, the quality—you know—the quality is probably better than ever. But how does Tokai stay relevant? How do the sweet wines? keep the market that they've got at the moment? I think it's really a market of connoisseurs. It's, it's a really a niche, niche market mm. today. We, of course, we would like to, to, to open it for more people. But uh, the interesting thing is, is, is that um, uh, in, in many markets, Tokai has a somehow more youthful image than some other sweet wines. And when people mm. taste it, of course, it, it it's sweet, but in the same time, it's very, it's very fresh. It's very um, aerial, and um, and you almost forget the um, the sugar. And uh, we have a lot of a lot of uh, collectors that we know, uh, Tokai wine lovers, and they they are not uh, people who, who love sugar, but they love Tokai because of this this very special balance, and. Um, and for me, Tokai is uh, is, is uh, as much a savory wine as as a, as a dessert wine. Mm. Uh, so it's, I think it, that's very true. That it often it often tastes less sweet than Sauterne. I mean, you Axe Millésime obviously have a Sauterne property as well, which is Chateau Soudier, a very good Sauterne. But I, I think you're right. That combination of tannins that you get from maceration and the acidity of fulmint make it. Yeah, th- I like your description. It's both savory and sweet. Yeah, yeah? exactly. Yeah. Just tell us a bit more. I mean, you're technical coordinator for all of the Axelisian projects. So you must get to go to Bordeaux and Burgundy, the Dura Valley, California. Is there anywhere else you'd like to make wine in the world? Do you think, hey, Laszlo, I'd really like to make X. What would it be? <laughs> it's, it's, it's very interesting. I, I really enjoy these, these new projects in, in, in California because this is a, this is a, a, a word I didn't know. And I, I'm very much... Uh, I, it, it's it's very I admire very much the uh, the open mindness and uh, this new approach and also the uh, sort of freedom they have uh, compared to the uh, to the European uh, viticulture. 
So this is for me, it's, 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 um, it's a fantastic, uh, discovery. And, but the other hand, um, I'm, I'm very European and then, and, um, I think if, if I had a personal project, uh, it would be something, uh, a little bit like Tokai has somehow forgotten wine region somewhere in Europe, uh, in Central Europe or Italy, France with some, some local, uh, traditions, but that needs some, 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 uh, some renovations, some, some new ideas. And so this would be a, a project that I would like to, to, to do very much. Sort of. Maybe Albania. I know my friend yeah. Wojciech, our friend Wojciech has just been in Albania. Yeah. I think it could they, be Albania. Yeah, <laughs> could, I, I, think, I think the Balkans, they have a lot of, uh, a lot of secrets. Yeah, I'm sure. And also Kosovo. Yeah, I think so. And, and, and as you said, that, yeah, and, and, and lots lots of indigenous grape varieties that it could be interesting and bring something new to the world of winery. I mean, th- th- how, you've got a busy job, you know, you're running running Disnuko, you're also, uh, as we've said, you know, the, the tech coordinator for all the AXA projects. How do you get away from wine? I mean, how do you how do you relax? I mean, do you need to? Of course, but I think we, we are lucky because the wine is a so complex world that uh, that when you, when you – when you do a job, you, you also talk about other things. It's, it, it's, there are a lot of things happened around the wine. So you can talk about, uh, mm. many things about your culture, traditions, history. But of course, I, I like to discover new, uh, new countries, new landscapes, uh, trailing, running, cycling, uh, swimming. I like very much, uh, history, literature. So yeah, there are, I think the good thing about around wine that it's um, it can be related to a lot of a lot of activities uh, and um, and then and through the wine you can you can discover uh, many many details of of our wonderful world. Mm. Well, and, and I've known you for more than twenty years, and you still look very young and very fit. So you must be doing a lot of cycling and running. Quite a lot, yes. <laughs> Every day, almost. <laughs> <laughs> That's why. Maybe it's that Tokai you're drinking as well. That's keeping you young and young and fit. Yeah. <laughs> Listen, Laszlo, it's been fascinating talking to you. Thank you for giving us some insights into this amazing region. I'm really glad you went on the interrail trip because without the interrail trip, you wouldn't have ended up where you are today, right? Yeah, exactly. Thank you very much. Thank you, Interrail. See you, my friend. Great to talk to you. Thank you. I'm glad that Laszlo took that holiday around Western Europe fascinating insights into one of the world's greatest sweet and now dry white wine areas. Next week on Cork Talk, my guest is Barbara Banke of global wine company Jackson Family Estates. Join me then. Thanks for listening to Cork Talk. If you want to read more reports, articles and tasting notes by me, go to my website, timatkin.com. You can also follow me on Twitter at Tim Atkin and on Instagram at Tim Atkin MW. See you next week.